No, I say I say to the fans that the fans are the fans and the fans have the right to have their opinions and to have their reactions. Football everything. I'm so happy, believe me. I'm so happy. Lewandowski, you know, Robert Lewandowski. Dream team, dream team. Fire, swoosh. I am flabbergasted and they're here. I wouldn't even let them on the bus after the match. I would get a taxi back to Manchester. <laughs> the only time a tennis ball has ever made me angry. What's viral on Twitter for us tonight is tennis ball. These boys are fucking utility <laughs> giants. It's unbelievable. This is a great football and country produced players and where we play that rubbish. Yeah. In August 2020, yeah, I'm taking over and that's still decided. I'm angry, I'm angry, Tony, I have to be honest. Stephen Kenny, we won it. So go on, go back to Scotland and get lost. And I'm certainly going to be a part of that. I'm going to manage that. I'm going to make sure we're even better. And fighting is there! Robbie Brady brings us As we get ready for a summer festival of football hosted across Europe, places like Baku, St. Petersburg, Munich, Seville and Rome, who knew that the biggest game of the summer would be hosted in Andorra's Estadi Nacional, as Stephen Kenny's <laughs> Ireland finally get to swim. Hello and welcome to this week's Trade the Back podcast. I'm joined, as usual, by Phil and Inda. How are you, lads? How are you doing? Evening, lads. Good to speak to you again. So as Ireland finally get the money off their back and sign off on a long, hard year with some semblance of positivity, we'll be taking a look at the past week on the Irish front. We'll be reviewing the Euros, which kicks off this weekend. And a little bit later on, we'll be joined by one football editor, Padraig Whelan, to talk about Scotland to embark on their first major tournament since France 1998. And we'll also be joined by Welsh journalist James Burgoyne to take a quick look at Wales for the tournament um before we get into that just a quick mention that we are running a euro 2020 fantasy competition over on the website so if you want to get in on that you'll find all the details on our social channels and codes to join and whatnot and the winner of that will get a euro 2020 jersey of their choosing so pick your team and get involved over the course of the tournament there like i said you'll find the code to join on twitter um so lads i mean we had kind of planned a, a little bit of a Euro 2020 big preview, but uh, it's been hijacked by um, a little bit of Irish positivity, um, if you want to take it in that way. Um, so if anyone is kind of looking forward to, to our uh, our insights into into the European competition, well, they'll have to wait a couple of minutes. Um, first win under Kenny came to the hands um, of Andorra, 4-1. It ended there from 1-0 behind um, thanks mostly to Troy Parrott there grabbing the game by scruff of the neck um, and they followed that up then with a, a fairly solid nil all performance um, against the Eurobound Hungary on Thursday night. Phil, um, it's been a tough all year but uh, <laughs> nice to sign off with some degree of positivity um, and I suppose get that all important first win. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like like you said, it's it's been tough going for most of the year um, even when there were signs of encouragement they were kind of swiftly followed by something a little more discouraging. So it's nice to finish on two relatively bright notes. Um, definitely didn't feel that way when they were 1-0 down to Andorra. Uh, it really felt like it was a bottom, we were at the bottom of a hole that um, I never thought we'd get to. But um, like you said, it was, it was nice to see, especially for Parrot um, to kind of turn it on and, and, and put us on his, on his back a little bit. And then um, again, like very solid last night. Some of the kind of the same problems as we've seen before in terms of maybe not loads and loads of, of creativity or not looking overly like scoring a bag full of goals. But we didn't really look that troubled overall. Uh, and there was, like I think what you're starting to see now 
is a few of the kind of tentpole players that Kenny's going to be building this side around starting to emerge. So it's people like John Egan, people like Jason Knight. Increasingly, it looks like Adam Ida is probably going to be part of that as well. Um, so there's probably players now that are starting to put their hands up because for a while it's been a bit mixed up under Kenny about like COVID and injury and, and just form has meant that the team's been a little mixed up. There's been players in and out. But um, you're starting to see players now like Darrow O'Shea put runs of games together and other players put their hands up to be included going forward. So I think that's the kind of positive things you can take from it. And uh, you, you kind of hope that in another kind of 12 to 18 months, however the immediate World Cup qualification campaign goes, that we're in a much better place this time next year or in 18 months' time than we are now. Yeah, as worrying as the sort of first 50 minutes against Andorra was, and thankfully they did turn around for Kenny more than anybody, I think last night was probably far more encouraging than anything they produced against Andorra, uh, simply because obviously this is a team that was preparing for the Euros, would have loved to have signed off with a win. And I think some of the quality of the play, especially in the second half from players who, you know, you expect to be very important for Stephen Kenny. I thought Ida was excellent. And as we've seen since Kenny got the job, he'll he'll definitely be a major player for him going forward. Bazunu in the first half was fantastic. And we can see the partnership between O'Shea and Egan growing. So, you know, if you have Bazunu, O'Shea and Egan, you know, as a sort of back three, if you like, before even picking the, the full-backs, which is likely to be Coleman or Doherty, who, who's still lacking confidence at the moment, obviously after a difficult season at Spurs. Uh, and then obviously Jason Knight was excellent in the second half as well. So there's already four or five players who who Kenny can now really bank on. Uh, and then the rest is up for grabs, really. And we can see what's coming through from the under-21s for, ne- for the next 18 months. And those already in the squad, that there's plenty um, there to work with as well. And it was great to see Parrot put his hand up as well after you know a difficult couple of years. Um so I found last night really encouraging in terms of the tempo of the play as well compared to the Andorra match, was, which was a bit slow, which can sometimes happen in these type of games against Andorra where you just expect it to turn up and win. But uh, I think overall we can start to see the formation of a pattern of play and a style that we probably hoped would you know hit this time last year, but injuries and lack of form and, and then the, the playoff match was still as unlucky as you'll get. Um, but, you know, certainly an, an encouraging week for Ireland. A long, long way to go, obviously, for, for Kenny and, and the team. But um, I, I'm far more positive than I would have been about the team a few months ago. Um, and I think, most importantly, he's probably taken the pressure off himself a bit uh, with a good week as well, which is kind of what he needed because he did look pretty stressed early on in that Andorra match, it must be said, uh, which I think we all were at one point. We were there in the group very worried uh, on WhatsApp on... <clears throat> on Monday or Tuesday night. So, uh, no, I'm, I'm very happy with, with what they produced this week. Yeah, I, t- I think that first hour or so against Andorra, I mean, you could tell that this was a team that just badly needed a win. Um, and we were kind of joking about the uh, the starting eleven as well. Like, there was there was no kind of experimentation or um, there were no debutants. I mean, it was it was purely a side um, where I think Kenny was just, let's just go out and win the game, please. Uh, get that monkey off our backs. Um, and I think you could tell they were a little bit more relaxed against Hungary. Um, they knocked the ball around a lot of camera. Um, you know, there was the kind of pressure had really been lifted. And um, like Phil said, I mean, there is a kind of a development happening. I think it's eight games now in a row that Darrow Shea um, has played in. Jason Knight looks like he's going to be one of the, the midfield three going mm. forward. Um, and then obviously Adam Ida kind of leading the line. And 
I mean, it, it is fairly slim pickings in terms of that kind of leading attacker, but he he seems to have favoured um, Ida, and I suppose from a club perspective, you'd like to see him get a full season maybe on loan in the Championship because it kind of hasn't really worked out for uh, for him at Norwich um, so far. He, he has had a couple of moments, but he would need a, a kind of a full season before we're kind of we get to see the best out of him, um, and I think that would probably help his um, his Irish um, performances as well. Um, and Parrot, of course. I mean, Parrot, like you can, he he talked about you know being criticised, and it's kind of it's mad to you know to hear a nineteen year old who has such um, such a short career so far, who hasn't played a whole lot of senior football, um, to be on the the receiving end of of a, a huge amount of criticism. Um, but he he does seem to be taken to the role, um, pretty quickly. I mean, you could tell uh, when things went south against Andorra that you know he he was you know trying his hundred percent to to get things going, and uh, he obviously got those two goals. And I, I found um, it gets hungry as well. Um, you know, he, he was kind of leading Ida, and kind of you know they were trying to uh, forge some sort of a partnership and and try and figure out you know who should be where and, and what runs to make and. Um, I mean, was he four or five caps for Ireland? It, it's going to take time, um, especially when he has such little um, senior experience. Um, but in the, the goalkeeping situation, I mean, Bizzuno had a hell of a 45 minutes against um, Hungary and then you're kind of delighted to see Kelleher come on. But like, how can you top, how can you talk some of the, the saves Bizzuno made? And, and he sure did. I mean, some incredible saves mm-hmm. and um, some great passing with his feet. I mean, it's it's going to be a shame. Like one of them has to play. Um, it, it, it's it's. I mean, it's going to be a, a tough decision, and I suppose club form is going to base a huge amount of it, um, depending on who's going well, um, for the respective clubs. And you'd imagine, um, both will be out on loan next year, um, from Liverpool and Man City. But uh, a nice a nice uh, headache for Kenny, considering we seem to have two really really exciting goalkeepers who can make saves and um, and play with their feet as well. Yeah, I, I think that's that's absolutely right. It's a, it is a good problem to have, but it is it is a pity that like it's not even like the situation with Coleman and Doherty where there's a way of working them into a t- into a formation. It is it is a li- literally a binary choice. But like you, you mentioned, the importance of a loan for for Ida, uh, I think it's a, exceptionally true for those two guys. Um, and the, the like, I think the destination of those two will determine nearly who gets the jersey. I mean, it feels like at the minute because Bazoon is the man in position or in possession, rather, that he's probably in pole position to, to keep it for, for the games uh, against Portugal. But, um, like, you know, you, you could see a world where Kelleher gets uh, a, ch- a championship loan or a move to the continent where he's playing at a decent level. And if Bizzunu ends up in League One again, all of a sudden there's a real question to answer. Um, I think if if Kelleher doesn't get get his move, which, doesn't, which it seems like he will, uh, but if he's at a level maybe equal to Bizzunu, I'd say Bizzunu just possession being nine tenths of the law might might stick out there. But um, it's like it's it's fantastic that we don't like we have a pretty decent history in this country of, of turning out good goalkeepers. Certainly since since Packy Bonner on up, it's never been really a problem position for us. But um, it's it's really heartening at the minute to see the type of goalkeeper that we have. Like you said, two guys were really comfortable. Uh, passing the ball around two guys who can still do the kind of fundamentals that you want from a goalkeeper and two guys who aren't afraid to kind of take on the leadership position that you need in a goalkeeper which probably will be your only fear for two for two guys who are a bit callow in terms of experience uh, but like the the like the atmosphere is they're in 
at Liverpool and City demand that they are able to take that on their shoulders. So I think no matter who ends up establishing themselves as number one, we're in a good position for the next uh, 10 or 12 years uh, in, in goals at least. Yeah, it's a tough one because, you know, on paper you'd say Kelleher probably has fractionally more experience. Obviously, you know, something like that Champions League performance against Ajax would, you know, be a feather in his cap. But I feel like Kenny probably trusts Bazunu fractionally more. Um, and I feel Bazunu probably just has a bit more presence as a goalkeeper. But again, I mean, you're splitting hairs, really. Um, it's probably the, the strongest two sets of keepers we've had since, you know, given an Alan Kelly back in the 90s, really. Uh, when both were starting for Premier League clubs, so um, again, it's 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 a great problem to have. Um, you know, haven't seen Bazunu in the champ in the European qualifiers uh, for Shamrock Rovers as a 16, 17 year old. I mean, even back then, it you know you could tell what an amazing keeper he'd be. And Kelleher really actually surprised me this season because um, you know it felt after some of his performances in the cup for Liverpool a couple of years ago that he mightn't develop as one would hope. But seeing him this season, he's really come on leaps and bounds and has a lot more confidence um, and his shot stopping has improved as well. He was always very good with his feet. So, um, you know, we'll get on to Scotland later on, but it reminds me of a tweet somebody said a few days ago where, you know, it's typical Scotland, our two best players and they're both a left back. Uh, and here's Ireland, you know, producing two, two potentially top class young talents and even worse, they're both keepers. But, you know, it's it's kind of in fit, fitting with the squad that we have. You look at the at potential front three of Ida, Parrott and Connolly, for example, they're all very young as well. So, you know, that's starting to filter through in, in several positions now. And this really was the main reason that Stephen Kenny got a, got the job. He wasn't going to be a guy who was, you know, going to manage a group of 30 plus year old veterans who, you know, would basically lead the dressing room, lead the tactics. Um, he was going to be a guy who would have to nurture young talent because that's what he's done at Ireland, at, at League of Ireland level. Um, so the fact that he's going to be able to put his stamp on the squad a little bit more now going forward, and as we mentioned earlier, we can already see that, you know, it's it's a really nice position for us to be in. Um, but obviously he still needs to get results to back that up, uh, which he hasn't been doing um, up until now. So, so it was a good week for him in that regard to take a bit of pressure off as well. Um, but it's really exciting seeing the level of talent we have coming through, um, both at, int- at senior level and under 21 level. And, you know, we haven't seen half of them yet, um, to be honest. I mean, I've, I've mentioned uh, Nathan Collins a few times. Obviously, the Norwich centre-back as well did, didn't feature this week. He was left out of the squad. So there's a lot more to come from um, this team as well. So it's, it'll be. I think the next 12 to 18 months will be really exciting in terms of the, the type of lineups yeah. we'll be producing. Yeah, and just to go back to your point about um, Bizzuno and Kelleher and maybe Bizzuno kind of having a slightly the age at the moment. Um, I mean... Considering he's still only nineteen, the leadership and the kind of the confidence that he exudes at this stage of his career is is kind of scary. And even listen to him in in interviews, um, like he's he already strikes me as a as a kind of a future Ireland captain in terms of you know he says the right things. You know he kind of he, he's very kind of Seamus Coleman like in in how he kind of comes across um, with the media and his mannerisms and. You know, in terms of saying the right things, and obviously his performances so far um, have been have backed that up, um, and he obviously has trust in the manager as well. Um, whereas Kelleher seems maybe a little bit more low key, um, and you know, you'd like to think a loan deal where he's playing week in week out kind of brings him out of his shell, um, because I think in terms of um, footballing ability, in terms, you know, getting 
ball defeat, Kelleher might have the edge on, on Bazuno as things stand, but um, a, a nice problem to have. Um, on another note, um, in terms of last night, um, obviously, you know, the African representation in the team has been uh, excellent uh, recently, and we had the debutante of um, Chidozi Ogbeni, who's kind of close to my heart in terms of, you know, seeing him from, for Limerick a couple of years back, and I think he was only 18 or 19, and like, He's, his, his athleticism at the time was just, you know, scary. Like he was faster than everybody else, stronger than everyone else. And he'd maybe kind of shorts a little bit of technical ability, um, which is, you know, he's needed time to kind of bring that together. Um, he obviously got to move out to Rotherham where he seems to be doing well. And, um, you know, you've Adam Ida, Andrew Mombamadeli, um, a couple of guys in the under 21s and, and, and further down the youth system. And, you know, the, the, the scenes before the game, um, where Ireland players took the knee, um, which I think, you know, was a huge step in terms of, you know, showing their togetherness as a group and, you know, kind of having the backs of Ogbeni um, and, and, and other players in the team. Um, I mean, it was a bit bizarre, first of all, you kind of, you know, realising that they were, first of all, they've taken the knee and then there was a kind of like a, a few seconds where, you know, the kind of hungry players, you know, didn't really know what to do and then they all pointed to their respect badges um on the sleeves of their jerseys and then just the chorus of booze just rang in and it was it was really I, I don't know if awkward was the right word but it was really startling like how how ferocious they were and i think even the irish players were kind of looking around wondering you know like really you know is this the response to, to what we've done but um i mean not a great moment for hungary um stephen kenny came out really really strongly um criticizing um and kind of saying you know it wasn't a great representation of of the country and um, i'm not sure what you what you two made of it um obviously we've, we've seen it at english hands but now um seeing it at an ireland game was has been a, a real eye-opener yeah I, I think unfortunately and i i agree stephen kenny was was brilliant but i think it is a, a good representation of uh hungary as a country at the minute unfortunately in that it's very much reflective of basically government policy and they're they're a, a proto Trump state at the minute in terms of like uh, right wing populism and uh, everything that that's bringing with it in uh, in twenty twenty one unfortunately and it was a diktat from the Hungarian FA that the players were not to kneel and um, so regardless of how their feelings were on the matter and I presume they could go against it but uh, it, it was a diktat from the FA that there was to be no kneeling um happening from the Hungarians so uh, and it's it's kind of why they've got a hundred percent capacity for the euros uh, they're kind of you know um to hell with covid sort of texas style sort of sort of carry on so unfortunately i think and like, ireland keep finding themselves in these situations it's the same with kenny and i did i thought he spoke well again when he was talking about qatar when we played them recently we're just kind of running into kind of hot button issues everywhere we go at the minute uh, which is a little unusual for us me I think it's been handled quite well, both by Kenny and by the group in, in both instances. Um, Tolok Benny was very good after the match last night and how he spoke, uh, how he spoke not only about his pride and his desire to be a role model for other African-born Irish players, but uh, how he spoke about how the booze of the knee affected him and how he wasn't sure how he'd react if he had a scored. Um, so I, I think what we're seeing is kind of the... The good side of what we talked about uh, the last time we podcast and we were saying that we have to be patient with these kind of um, multi-qualified players in terms of making up their mind of where their allegiances lie. You're getting very 
thoughtful, very considerate players now who have had to contend with a lot more than just the idea of coming from Kildare or Galway and only having to think about life in a certain way. Um, so I think you're seeing the, the, the kind of plus side of this kind of increased multi-ethnicity of the Ireland, of the Ireland squad. Uh, and you're also just seeing the plus of having kind of sensible and um, sensitive humans like Stephen Kenny in charge as well. And uh, so I think like we come out with or the Irish squad, I don't want to claim to be us, but the Irish squad and the Irish manager I talk about with great credit versus uh, Hungary who, who haven't put their best foot forward. But unfortunately it's the foot that they very much mean to put forward. It wasn't a misstep. Yeah, I think we're at a very delicate place here with this thing. Um, now, we've seen it in La Liga and Serie A for years where there's been constant racism from fans towards players. And it's kind of, you know, with the, with the Black Lives Matter movement, it's kind of gone up another level again in terms of what people believe they should and shouldn't be protesting. And, you know, people using the word Marxist online, not even knowing what that even means. Um, and, you know, the you know comeback of hard right-wing politics and kind of the last four to five years has you know accentuated that even further um so i thought ireland and kenny handled it pretty well last night because you know again as as phil mentioned if um, a minute ago in, in our last podcast we did say listen we're going to be one of the most multicultural national teams over the next five to ten years strong african community here strong brazilian community here and that's just the tip of the iceberg, strong Indian community here uh, as well. So, um, you know, there'll be a lot of dual nationality players uh, representing Ireland, which I think overall is a, is a great thing and a very positive thing. Um, but other countries, unfortunately, aren't so welcoming to that type of scenario. But again, we've seen, for example, so, somewhere like France with that kind of connection to, you know, Algeria, that's kind of favoured them very heavily in terms of the quality of footballers they were able to produce. Mm. Um, so I think it's something that should be embraced uh, and certainly shouldn't be used against any player. And I think it was a real, a real low moment and and a real worrying moment. I, I feared for a lot of those young players last night in the squad in general having to deal with that. Um, you know, a lot of them, you know, it's their first time in an, in an international squad in an international match, and you know, immediately they're being booed for. Uh, protesting against racism, which is just bizarre, really. Mm. Um, and I thought, you know, in, in fairness to the hungry players, pointing to the respect badge is probably the the most they could have done at that moment. Uh, they certainly weren't encouraging the crowd. Um, whereas even at the start of the Europa League final, for example, I, I felt the referee and the Villarreal side, they were sort of almost very adamantly standing chest out against the United taking the knee and just little things like that. You kind of think, right, well, it's okay if you don't want to kneel, but you don't need to be as brazen in your stance against it, you know. Um, so, you know, we've had the issue of, of racism online, which is getting worse and worse all the time, but it's seeping into society in general. Well, not seeping in, it's it's rampant in society in general across Europe, really. Um, you know, and it's crossed over into the political world. So uh, we're in a really, really bad moment for the game in that regard and and I don't really know what the solution is apart from you know we've seen teams storm off the pitch before um and it, they may have to do it again um not that I expect anybody to do it this summer but uh I expect taking the knee will probably take a back seat next season because just because it's it's become too divisive and too controversial for teams to do it through no fault of their own um uh I do think you know it was a worthy cause in terms of constantly a weekly reminder of the fact that, you know, racism has to be fought against. Um, and it's a shame now that it's seen as, as something controversial for a team to do. And, you know, um, certainly for the England fans in particular, it's a, it's a real low moment for them. 
Yeah, it's sad. I mean, it's sad that we have to kind of ask these questions of a player um, on the back of his debut, which should be such a, a happy moment for him. Um, and you'd like to think that, you know, when we do get back to the Aviva, um, if the situation arises that, you know, the Irish fan base would would have a, a, a much better response um, and would have the back of uh, these players because, you know, it, they're only the first um, in line of, of what's going to be, a, like like Enda said, a hugely multicultural national team, um, you know, be it players from African descent, Brazilian, Eastern European, um, it's just the beginning. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's not going to go away, obviously, with, with, with the Euros coming up and England's been fairly steadfast in, in, in their position and um, Gareth Southgate has also spoken, you know, extremely well on, on, on the position. Um, and, I mean, with home games for England, it's, there's going to be an extra microscope on, on a couple that minutes or 30 seconds before the game. Um, and England fans will have the world's eyes, um, you know, on them and, and, and it's their time to, to step up and, you know, it is essentially a, an anti-racist, you know, protest. Um, it, it was hijacked in America after Colin Kaepernick um, took the knee during the anthem and, and, and it was kind of, um, you know, theorized as, a, as an anti-American, anti uh, uh, anti the flag sort of a protest when essentially he was just, you know, taking a knee at, at police brutality on the back of um, some high profile cases before the um, George Floyd situation ever came up. And it's been hijacked now in, 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 in Europe as well. And, and especially by England fans, though, um, I suppose we wouldn't know what Marxism means if it's, you know, if they, if they had the... the <laughs> If you had, had the dictionary on it, I mean, it's ridiculous um, excuses. Um, and, uh, you know, you'd like to think that, um, you know, teams, I think, will continue to do it over the course of the summer. And hopefully by, by the end of the tournament, we might have, uh, you know, we might have turned a, a couple of opinions on it and, and, and got people to, you know, realise what essentially the players are doing there. Um, moving on to the Euros then, um, I mean... I guess if you flick through some of the the big favourites, it's kind of a, a difficult one to call, and I think probably so much is going to rest on who can keep the fresh sides over the course of the over the month or so um, after such a long season. Um, but it is all to play for, and I mean England looking incredibly strong with that immense strength and depth that they have. Um, probably taking the strongest squad, maybe short of France, who are loaded in every position as well. Um, Portugal are teaming with talent and, and obviously coming in as defending champions. Italy um, are in the form of their lives under Roberto Mancini and looking um, really defensively solid. Germany are obviously a big tournament team with loads of experience um, and a manager who, you know, he's proven that he can take a team all the way and it's his last um, summer there at, at with the national team. So, you know, they might like to go out on a high. Belgium have a loaded squad as well. They'll be aiming to go all the way. They're number, world number one at the moment. Um, and then you've the likes of Spain and Netherlands that maybe I know aren't um, as strong as you might have expect on, on paper, but are still very much capable of going fair. Um, Croatia coming off a, a World Cup final and a really experienced side there too. Um, let's, I suppose, starting with our friendly neighbours across the way, I think reading the mood in, in the media and, and, and kind of the wider football fan base and uh, not just in England, um, but kind of around Europe, there seems a kind of a, an assumption that they're genuine contenders and, you know, that they will be there, thereabouts and maybe less than anything 
let anything less than, than a title will be a disappointment for England. Whereas in 2018, they were kind of riding the crest of a wave. Um, and I got to a stage, you know, where, you know, they, they were kind of playing with house money really in, in, in terms of getting to the semi-final. But is it all on them now? Is, is there pressure there with that squad and, and that manager to, to deliver this summer? I think they're going to get knocked out in the last 16. <laughs> I'm not being funny. If they win their group, they play the second place team in the, yeah. in the group of death. So that's France or Portugal, they most should, likely. A sneaky second place. <laughs> and then they play them, the, the winner of that group in the last eight. So they might get to a quarter final. But I think genuinely, and it's, it's, it's because it's France and Portugal, I think they're probably the third best squad, maybe fourth best squad in the tournament. Um, like me and Ender were talking before the start of the podcast, I think if the final was tomorrow, I don't know what I don't know if Southgate knows his best team. Uh, he's bringing Maguire and Henderson, despite neither of them being fit, because they're really important to them. Um, they're I think they're suspect at the back. Uh, they're completely loaded with attacking talent, but I don't know whether they're going to get the best options on the pitch or not. Um, and I think when they run into France or Portugal, both sides who are quite solid and who have attacking weapons that can hurt them. I think that's the sort of side that they'll struggle against. Um, so, like, for all the talent they have, which is <laughs> undoubted, and I'm, like, I'm not trying to be messing around, and I just cannot believe that, like, nobody's paying attention to the fact that they're either going to play the world champions or the reigning European champions, most likely, in the last 16, if they win their group. Um, <laughs> so, like, and, and then even if they don't, that they played one of them in the quarter in the quarterfinal. Um, so... <laughs> It, like maybe it's a well, I was going to say a, a next World Cup thing, but that's next year. I mean, it feels like they've got half the team absolutely sussed in terms of like that forward line is absolutely unbelievable. And if he hits on the right chemistry, he nearly could do it by mistake because there's so much mm. talent there. It's like Harry Kane plus two, and you could you could you could make it work. But it's kind of from defensive midfield back. It just doesn't feel right. Is it going to be a three? It looks like it could be three with Luke Shaw and Kyle Walker and John Stones. I mean, that doesn't scream to me to be a brilliant tournament-winning defense. Um, like I, I, I don't know. I, from, from the defensive midfield back, I'm just not convinced by them yet. Um, it feels like they've got all these pieces maybe that could fit together. But just in this window right now, it feels like there's a couple of sides a bit better than them. The Irish man really coming through and filled there. As you said, we spoke before and I, I fully agree. I think that, you know, there's a, f- a feeling of this slight organized chaos kicking into the England team all of a sudden. Yeah. Southgate certainly felt the pressure of having to narrow down the squad, which is why he picked that initial 30. Uh, and then I was, as I was saying to Phil earlier, the conspiracy theory in me would suggest, you know, Alexander Arnold and Greenwood both pulling out injured, you know, when they would have been controversial leaves. Uh, you know, it's just all kind of stacking up into this kind of weird England pre-tournament kind of. Ooh, we don't know what's going to happen here. Maguire's a huge loss because he was basically the focal point of that back three. So now they've to, they'll probably end up playing two fullbacks in that back three, which is not really what either. You know James or Walker or Shaw want want to be part of, um, and the keeper situation isn't exactly perfect either. I mean Henderson, you know, got a few games for United this season, but you know he's confident in himself, but he probably won't be the starter. I mean Pickford, I've, you know, he just everything seems to fly by him as well. So you know, the, there's just not that kind of stability in a back 
three or four or five that you would expect from the talent that they have, you know, in the squad. And and, and then going forward, I mean, Sancho's never really turned it on under Southgate. Rashford needs about four surgeries after the Euros. Um, you know, he, he doesn't want to play Grealish, even though he will play him. You know what I mean? It's like... You know, he's he's tried to hold Grealish back for about 18 months and now he'll probably end up relying on him at some point in the tournament, which is always risky for a manager. <laughs> you know, so there's just Sterling's form in the last six months have fought, has fallen off a cliff. So there's just question marks everywhere as is Harry Kane thinking about what happens in his club career in two months' time. There's just all this chaos all of a sudden when six months ago everything just looked perfect for Southgate in England on paper coming into this tournament. Um, so it's very enjoyable to see if they do crash and burn, to be honest, because, you know, because um, <laughs> uh, that's that's just what you want to see, you know. But, um, you know, Phil Foden trying to do the Gaza haircut. Oh, Jesus, you know, it's just all... <laughs> what year was Phil Foden born I don't in? Know. I don't even He's know. doing Euro 96 callbacks and the man was uh, born in about 2002. Uh, plus it looks I'm more, sorry. It looks more grey than blonde in the pictures I've seen, so I don't even get it. But anyways, you know, there's just this kind of randomness creeping into England that you would expect back like in 2004 or something that we thought they'd kind of moved on from, but it's just all kind of creeping back in again all of a sudden. And as Phil said, that's before you even look at the draw, which is absolutely brutal for them in terms of either having to play the first or second from the strongest group in the whole tournament, which is basically a semi-final or a final lineup, whatever way you look at it. Um, so, but yeah, the biggest concern overall is Southgate in his time, you know, bar the 2018 tournament, uh, has never really nailed down his uh, best 11. Um and in qualifying, he, he mixed and matched all the time, but there was enough talent to get him through there. They weren't great in, in the in the warm-up game during the week. So, um, yeah, I, I can't see how it all of a sudden clicks. Now, it did for Deschamps, for France in the World Cup, when they were in a similar sort of situation. Um, but what Deschamps had was, you know, experience in the back line, an experienced keeper, and then he bought Matuidi in on the left-hand side to kind of cover that side of Pogba, uh, and uh, Lucas Hernandez, and it just gave them that stability. And obviously then Mbappe, uh, Griezmann, were just able to take things on to another level for them in the latter stages. Um, so something like that could happen in England, but I just don't feel like at the moment that that will happen. And as you said, the injuries to Henderson and Maguire, but bringing them along anyways, it's all a bit very dicey stuff um, in a tournament. So, you know, the Roy Keane in me, who got fierce enjoyment of taking Henderson to the cleaners during the week, um, <laughs> you know, is kind of kicking in as well, thinking, well, why are they there if they're not going to be fit kind of thing, you know? Um, and then even the missed penalty at the end, you know? It was just all a bit chaotic again, so... Um, it's the oldest England tournament yeah. tradition, like. It's 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 Rooney getting brought to a couple of tournaments when, exactly. he, when he wasn't fit. Exactly. Owen Beckham, yeah. I mean. It's, so it's that type of feel, like I said, that you'd expect maybe 12, 14 years ago that we thought England had finally grown out of um, but it's all creep back in all of a sudden. And I think, you know, Southgate will be pretty stressed at the moment, I think, thinking about how this tournament could go for them because it's, <laughs> you know, as talented as a squad as you could imagine. I mean, if you were to add up the, the potential transfer fees of the 26 players, I mean, you're into the billions, I would assume. But um, I mean, okay. um, you know, the transfer but, market has them as 25% more expensive than the next closest yeah. Right, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's frightening on paper, but, you know, um, I just think the timing at the moment just isn't right for them. Um, but again, in 18 months, two years' time, they'll, you know, providing everything goes well for them, they'll be an incredible outfit to watch. 
Um, but I just think it's it's too soon for Southgate and too soon for some of these players in terms of the build-up and preparation and seasons that they've had um, and probably a bit too much pressure for them at the moment as well, playing at home as well and potentially being booed at the start of each match if they take the knee, as we discussed. <laughs> like Again, that's just another kind of backstory that could creep into player psyche as well. So there's so much going on with England that it's just not really what suits them, certainly in the past. Yeah, the, the the picture of Foden um, kind of reminded me of that Twitter account. You know, the uh, was this pictures that preceded unfortunate <laughs> yeah, events. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's called. Like, so, <laughs> it, it, when I saw it, I was like, okay, this, this, this is this is going to come back to bite him. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, the last sixteen tie will tell a lot, I suppose. When yeah. if 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 they do finish first in their group, um, and if they do manage to to get over what's likely to be one of Germany, Portugal, or France. Um, which is a hell of a tough draw. I mean, um, and in, and into the the winner of that group. Then if they if they get over the line there, um, but like, I wouldn't be surprised if they do fall forwards in fair into the knockout stages. I mean, I I I am of the opinion that the teams that can go deep or will go deep will be the freshest squads, and the fact that Southgate probably doesn't know his best team and is likely to kind of experiment a little bit with rotation um, over the course of the group stage and maybe even into the last 16 game. Like I wouldn't be surprised if it's, I don't know, Ben White starting in the last 16 or in the quarterfinals if they get there. Like, such is, you know, Southgate's, you know, indecision in terms of his strongest 11 and obviously the injuries to Henderson and Maguire means, you know, Bellingham and Calvin Phillips are likely to be heavily involved as well. So I think... You know, if England kind of rotate enough and, you know, I suppose it's, it's a matter of, you know, if you throw a, a number of things at a wall, a few of them will stick. That could be the case for Southgate in terms of um, the starting 11s that he picks. Um, and he could kind of fluke his way through in terms of, you know, England simply being a fresher 11 than, say, um, Germany or Portugal, who might be kind of relying on, on the same 11 every week or every game, I suppose, to, to get them through. Um which will kind of be a little bit ironic, but given the season um, and kind of how elongated it was, and you know, there's a, certain to be a number of tired legs and a tired squads um, throughout Europe, and you can see in particular Spain picking a really young squad, you know, binning lots of older players like Jesus Navas and, and Sergio Ramos. So they're clearly of the opinion that you know we kind of need we need young fresh legs um, to get us through. Um, in terms of the other favours, is there anyone sticking out? Phil, I know you were kind of you were high on, on the Portugal train. Are you still there? Yeah, well, September the September international window of twenty nineteen is when I nailed my colours to the Portuguese map, <laughs> uh, and I haven't taken them down since. Um, yeah, like I, I, I just think that, and I, I completely take your point about Southgate maybe able to keep things fresher by not knowing his best eleven. I think Portugal are at the other end of the spectrum there, where they know pretty nailed on their best 11. Uh, they've all, they've got a ludicrous situation where Joe Felix is probably going to be coming off the bench as a game changer um, and still being able to have Ronaldo Jada, Bernardo Silva, Bruno Fernandes, uh, Andre Silva in the mix there somewhere. I don't know if he's going to fit into the starting lineup or the bench. Uh, and then you're kind of backing it up with, uh, with Ruben Diaz and two of the best fullbacks in Europe. I just think they're strong everywhere. I think just every line of the team is impressive. Um, the draw obviously is tough. I think getting hungry in that group is probably a help in that the other three teams will probably beat the snot out of them and that'll be enough for a third-place qualifier. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think 
I, I, I do think they're going to have as good a chance as anyone. Uh, the if they come second in the group, that England game is obviously big. I think it obviously depends on on how things shake out, but it could be Spain in a quarter final as well. I think if things go as you'd expect, and um, so it's not exactly an easy draw. But um, I don't think there's there, there's not much to scare you off them. I don't think. Yeah, my only concern with Portugal, um, and I keep changing my mind on them, um, is that when Santos has tried to get all of his best attacking players on the pitch, uh, they've struggled to turn it on together at the same time. And usually it's when he's withdrawn one of them, maybe at halftime or after an hour, uh, and it's kind of gone to a more conventional 4-3-3 as opposed to having his best four attackers and Fernandes, Bernardo, Ronaldo, and then one of Jota or Silva or um, Joao Felix they've struggled to kind of really blow teams away at that point. It's more when they go back to something a little more functional, a little more like their Euro win in 2016, where they were very reliant on experience, um, a solid midfield, the kind of Moutinho, Sanchez, um, very experienced backline with Pepe um, and Jose Font, and then experience up front as well, actually with Kresma and Nani, who both had excellent tournaments. And then, Eder coming up as the surprise hero, really, whereas it's kind of almost the opposite this time around. They have too many younger type of options to to, to pick from. But, I mean, it's an incredible squad when you look at it. I mean, even looking at their friendly tonight, I mean, they're playing a, a 4-2-3-1, which is Fernandez, Ronaldo and Bernardo behind Diogo Jota, which is just insane, really, with Ruben Neves and William Carvalho behind them. So, I mean, it's a front six that would scare the hell out of anybody, really. Um Sure. But it's just a case of whether they can play well at the right times. But they've got so much experience with Santos there, obviously, Ronaldo um, and Pepe, um, that the younger players, especially Mendes at left fullback, if he plays, will be really, really exciting. Um, and it's probably time for Bruno Fernandes to step up at international level as well. Uh, you know, people might forget he actually started Portugal's first World Cup game against uh, Spain in 2018 and was hooked at halftime and didn't really feature in the tournament since. So he's not really turned it on for Portugal to the level that, you know, you would expect considering his contribution to sporting and then obviously United. So I think it's a big tournament for him. Uh, Jota as well is coming off a great season for Liverpool. Bernardo Silva probably needs to step it up a bit for Portugal as well, considering, you know, the performances he's produced for City. So there's a few there who'll be going in thinking this is the time to really deliver. And obviously everybody's looking at Ruben Diaz as well um, as kind of the best centre-back in Europe. So he'll have that pressure on as well. So there's, there's a, you know, in terms of, the, we talk about the pressure with England and their squad and the manager, you know, there's similar pressure on Portugal to really deliver. I mean, you know, Ronaldo obviously has high expectations of his teammates as well, which can, you know, get out of hand at some point. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how, how they handle that situation. And being in such a tough group as well, they don't really have that time to, to work their way into the tournament yeah. the way they did in 2016. Um, so it will be interesting to see how Portugal go. But, it, I mean, they have such an exciting lineup on paper that, you know, you would expect them to get it right, uh, even in such a tough group. And if they did meet England in the next round, it, it would be a fantastic match to watch. Um, I mean, I was kind of humming and hawing about about some of the big teams. I I must admit, I am quite high in Italy for some reason. Yeah, I agree. Um, going into this, I think I think there's something kind of you know like a major tournament winning team look about us. Um, I mean, if you go through the defense, it's it's such an experienced lineup with Benucci and and Chiellini, who obviously didn't have the best of seasons with Juventus, but you'd imagine you know will be will be given 150 percent really for Italy. You know. Um, that's their nature, Florenzi as well. Um, you know, they've really tidy midfield players. Um, 
Federico Chiesa is one of the best young players coming through um, at Juventus. Um, it just seems like a nice profile of team. Um, you know, you've guys like Verratti and Jorginho as well, adding a little bit of experience. Um, but I think in attack, you know, I look at Immobile and Andrea Bellotti, who both have really good records for Italy, and it just kind of strike me as players that could come out of a tournament with four or five goals each, you know, and, and, and Insigne um, thrown in there as well. So um, I, I'm, I'm quite high in Italy. I don't know if, if, if you're the same there in the... I am, yeah. And the reason is because, I mean, you left out Brady as well, who's probably had his best mm. season at Sassuolo at right wing, yes. you know. So, I mean, a front three of Brady, Immobile and, uh, you know, Insigne or Chiesa, you know, is enough to cause anybody trouble as well. A lot of experience midfield, maybe too much experience at centre-back in terms of their ages at this stage. But again, <laughs> Donnarumma, you know, there'll be a lot of drama surrounding him this summer. But at yeah. 22, he's still one of the best young keepers in Europe, so... Um, and at fullback, very experienced. Locatelli as well, coming off the best season of his career. So there's four or five players who would be going into a, a major tournament, probably at their peak confidence, which is kind of what you want from a national team. And I think in that starting eleven that Italy have, there'll be four or five who will be thinking that this is their moment now to really deliver uh, for a country that has underwhelmed in major tournaments for about a decade now mm. at this stage. Um, so, you know... If you're talking about dark horse, which is crazy to think about Italy, but, uh, you know, I, I think they'd be the, the long shot for me just because they have so many informed players and they're just waiting for it to click now. And there has been more progress under Mancini. Um, not maybe as fast as you would hope, but, you know, even in the recent warm-up games, they really look like they're turning it on as well. Um, Bernard mm-hmm. Bernadeschi could be a dark horse as well. Um, I know he struggled for Juventus for a couple of seasons, but again, somebody who... Maybe like Charisma in 2016, you know, just is waiting for that chance to really shine on the big stage because certainly his, his talent would suggest that he can. Um, you know, Chiesa as well, coming off the best season of his career, really impressed me more than I expected at Juventus. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing just how Italy set up. Obviously, quite exposed at centre-back. Um if the midfield of, you know, Jorginho, Verratti and, and probably Locatelli don't give them the cover that they need. Um but apart from that, you know, I, th- I think they're well set. Uh, and that front three could really blow anybody away if they get it right. So, uh, and Bellotti as well, as you said, potentially as a backup to Insigne um, yeah. is going to be a great option for them as well. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing Italy this year, I must say. Um, uh, and I think they'll have a good tournament. Yeah, and I mean, I, they are coming in as the form team as well. I think they have um, seven or eight clean sheets now in a row. Yeah. Um, and I think they're unbeaten in like 24 or five. So... Um, and and like, have you seen have you seen their staff suits? Yeah, uh, their, their yes, yes, attire. very trendy, um, very some, trendy. Some yeah. of the best I've some of the best I've seen. Um, so, you know. <laughs> so Roberto Mancini is uh, is looking stylish um, and and very much yeah, it's, like it's a, like the Italian a European Championship winning manager, <laughs> like the Italian priest and Father Ted rocking up for the over seventy fives. <laughs> you know, like they're exactly. they're looking they're looking swish. So you know. You'd be disappointed. I think, if I, think he, I think he's playing centre half, isn't he? And <laughs> probably is at this stage. Yeah, <laughs> you know him and Chiellini. Yeah, Chiellini is uh, pushing on that age. Yeah. So uh, yeah, um, that would be my only concern. You know, there's experience, and then there's just old. And I think yeah. those Italian centre backs are, <laughs> you know. But again, we've seen Pepe have one of the best seasons of his career side, at yeah. 38 for Porto. So um, you know, you just don't know, like. Mm. And, I mean, we've got to mention the Italian national anthem. I mean, it's an absolute belter. So, oh, I mean, I mean, that alone for me is is worthy of any tournament win, you know. So, And they are, 
they are at home, I think, for right, a couple of the right, games so. as well. In, uh, in yeah, Rome, so they've a lot of things going for them. So, yeah, it'll be uh, interesting to see yeah. for sure. What about some of the other teams, France, Belgium? I mean, Belgium are, are stuck to the gills with, with teams but or with um, talent, but it it seems like it's it's now or never um, for Roberto Mancini and that kind of generation and era. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Andrew, go on. Yeah, Bobby Martinez. I just... The Southgate-esque kind of annoyance <laughs> from him, you know what I mean? Like, if he had a worse name or worse hairline, you know, would we really take him as seriously? Um, and De Bruyne probably hasn't featured in training yet for them. Uh, so this golden generation, Hazard coming off the worst kind of 18 to 24 months of his career, I don't think the stars are quite aligning for them as Belgium would have hoped, certainly as, as they did kind of two or three years ago. Um, so I'm not a, really as hopeful for them, you know, as I would have been. Um, and and centre-back, they don't look great. Uh, yeah. As for France, though, I mean... The diamond they played last night with kind of Griezmann behind um, Mbappe and Benzema, who hopefully isn't injured, and then Pogba uh, and uh, Kante and Talisa, who was very good behind. I mean, that could be a game changer for France, really. Um, that's as good as front six as you'll get anywhere. Um, perhaps lacking a bit of width uh, from the fullback positions, especially on the left-hand side. Lucas Hernandez is more of a defensive left-back. He's really a centre-back. But uh, Kimpembe is coming in probably after the best kind of 18 to 24 months of his career alongside Varane. Pavard hasn't had a great time at Bayern, but still a fantastic player. And um, so, you know, apart from the lack of depth in the squad in midfield, I think France, for me, are the favourites. I just think that starting eleven is just absolutely outrageous. Um, and if Benzema isn't injured, which it didn't look too serious last night, uh, for me, the favourites for sure, with that diamond formation in particular. I mean, they were just absolutely stunning last night. Um, and no, it was only a warm-up game. Uh, which suits Pogba more than any other big game, etc., etc. But um, <laughs> you know, uh, the formation alone just makes you just want to watch them. I mean, I just think they're in yeah. fantastic form. Yeah. yeah. Any any the kind of dark horse group? Um, I suppose outside of that, seven or eight teams and at the top of the odds. Is there anyone I've, I've, I've won that I I've, I've been brewing this and I've been rolling it over my head and whether I should say it or not, <laughs> but um. Inspired by you and uh, it's Denmark, isn't it? No, it's not Denmark. Actually, I've seen a few. I've seen. <laughs> I've seen talk of them, um, but Scotland. Uh, is it Scotland? Insp- inspired by you, Kevin, <laughs> your your UEFA um, predictor thing on Twitter. Oh, yes. I I had a go the other day, and I found myself putting Ukraine in the semi final. So I'm yes. all in. I had, on I had them going through a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. I'm all in. I have them topping, and I put my money where my mouth is in this. I have them topping their group. Um, and I have them making a semi-final off the back of it. Like they are in in probably the weakest group with um with the Netherlands, Macedonia, and uh, Austria. So mm. um, stranger things have happened there. Yeah. Like their their, their um, midfield is so I, strong. They've they've got a, a, yeah. a forward uh, in in terms of coming off like twenty plus goal season for Ghent. Um, they've got like is it like nine players from Dynamo Kiev? So it's like that kind of mini. Barcelona, Real Madrid thing going on in terms of just mm. really good cohesion, um, and I and like it's it's hard to tell obviously Zinchenko. yeah Zinchenko playing playing midfield but Malinowski and Stepanenko, um, but like it's a really it's a really kind of varied midfield but like it's it's mm. hard to know obviously with who comes third and how the draw changes but if the draw pans out the way I've you know I've jotted down it's actually not the worst path. Yeah, like it'd be it'd be Sweden and then Switzerland or Russia. 
to get to a semi-final. Um, and that, that, that's, that's definitely not the scariest thing. So yeah, I, I think they could surprise a few people. Hmm. Um, I think they'll definitely give a good rattle in their group. They should get out because the other three teams should beat Northern Macedonia, so that should give them a good go. But I think if they top their group, they could actually go relatively far. Yeah, I've kind of been obsessed looking for my, you know, next charisma, really, in terms of... <laughs> yeah, how many uh, times have you been mentioned there? This I don't know, about four or five. I, the guy is just stuck in my brain. Um, <laughs> but, like, just that kind of a veteran write-off that just comes into a tournament and helps his team produce ridiculous things. And I'm looking at this Ukraine squad and I think Andrei Yarmolenko, after two or three dodgy seasons at West Ham, considering <laughs> how awesome he was, you know... Uh, before his move to Dortmund, uh, you know, he could be one to watch as well. So, um, yeah, there's certainly, there's something about the Ukraine squad. There's enough there to make you think, yeah, and a lot of local Ukraine-based players as well through Kiev and Shakhtar Donetsk as well. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they go. But, um, uh, yeah, certainly one to watch as well. I think they're a great shout, Phil, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I was, I was kind of getting high on um, on Switzerland, um, just looking at their their group and their yeah. path through. I mean, they're in Wales's group um, with Italy and Turkey, and just kind of the profile of their of their squad. I mean, there's a lot of um, Bundesliga mm. players, you know, plenty of experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of guys from Mönchengladbach. Yeah. I'm just uh, not sure they'll get past Turkey that. in that group. Would be my only concern. I think Turkey yeah. have quite an experienced squad there, but yeah, yeah, if they do get past that group, yeah, then they're yeah. with a shout as well. But um, they, they actually, their schedule is they have to go out to yeah. Baku to play Wales, come back to Rome to play Italy and then back out to Baku again to play Turkey. So it's a fairly <laughs> grueling um, week or so for, for, for Switzerland. So that kind of put me off them. What about you, Wendy? Anyone sticking out? Um, no, I mean, as I said, like Italy. You're going to give Scotland or Wales a run? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, I actually do really like, <laughs> I do, I do really like actually, and we'll get on to the Scotland lineup in terms of the way they set up and the profile nice. of player. And they're, uh, you know, you look at seven or eight of that first 11 that, that lined out against Serbia and they're coming off probably one of the best seasons of their career. So in terms of say pulling a Wales 2016 or, or whatever, you know, I, I think they could be. Uh, they they could could perhaps pull it off, but then you look at the group and think, Jesus, just uh, you know, a t- yeah, such a tough thing, group. Yeah. If they'd gotten a nice draw, I mean, they really could have been ones to watch. And even up until this week, I was convincing myself that that they're the dark horse. But then you just look back to that group, and it's just it, it's a step too far for them. And and I just think Wales just have too many players out of form, too much drama with the managerial situation. So, um, you know they would have been the two that I would have looked at originally, um, obviously being the closest to us at the time. But um, no, I, I, I just can't see it with them. I think kind of the Ukraine, Switzerland are, are much, much better and logical shouts. Yeah. Or even Austria, perhaps, you know, um, yeah. uh, those would be the kind of two or three I'd be looking at to hopefully produce something and surprise a few people. First, I thought you treated bollocks in the drive. Excuse me, this is live. <laughs> Delighted to be joined by Podrick Whelan from One Football to talk Scotland ahead of the Euros. Thanks for coming on, Podrick. Hope you're well. Yeah, all good, lads. 
So it's been a bit of a wait for Scotland, um, France 1998, since they last made a major tournament. Um, and this one is on home turf in Hampton Park. And then obviously the, the England fixture, a short trip over to Wembley. Um, what's the feeling like amongst the Scottish fan base ahead of this? I suppose it's a, it's a full generation now since they last kind of had to experience a, a major tournament. Yeah, it's um, like the excitement, honestly, it's nothing like I've ever experienced. Like I was too young. I've got like kind of vague memories of the opening game, France ninety eight against Brazil, but nothing um really more than that. And then since then, as I'm sure you guys know, it's just been uh failure after failure. Some of it glorious, some of it less so. So I've like really yeah, I've never really experienced um this this kind of excitement and stuff that I have from like Obviously, other parts of the, the family, um, when Ireland have qualified and stuff, and it's been good, but it's yeah, it's it's just not quite the same as as when it's you know your own country and yeah, the the place is just it's absolutely buzzing. It's people talking about the team and how good the team is and how this guy should be starting, that guy should be starting, and oh, there's times you just really have to stop and pinch yourself and think, yeah, they're talking about these guys who should be playing. Um, a major tournament. It's still, even though it's been what November last year since we qualified and mm. like less than a week away now, it's, it almost still hasn't sunk in that they've actually uh, made it at last. But yeah, it's as I said, the excitement's it's different level. It's really um, not something I was used to at all. Yeah, even even the means of how they um, qualified. I mean, I, I remember watching it. I was just at the edge of my seat, you know, kind of willing them to to get over the line and there in the uh, in the shootout. Um, I mean, you've a pretty tough group um, with England, Croatia, and Czech Republic. I mean, you know, we know everything about England at this point, but Croatia coming off a, a World Cup uh, final, um, they've had a couple of retirements in the meantime, and you know, Czech Republic are. are they're kind of those, they seem like one of those sticky tournament teams that you know are likely to get a, a decent result or two, um, no matter who they're coming up against. So, it, what what are how, what's your kind of gauge on 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 Scott's expectations for for uh, for the group? Um, I, I honestly I think there is there's a genuine maybe not expectation, but I think there's definitely <clears throat> excuse me a, a belief that that Scotland can get out of the can get out of the group um, I think the really big thing is having the Czech Republic at home in the first game because you look at it and you go that's going to be um, if you're going to get your win from somewhere that that's going to be the game it comes from um, Scotland have <coughs> sorry um, Scotland have played them twice in the last year in the Nations League and beat them home and away um, the away game maybe a bit of a false flag they were pretty much decimated by uh, Covid and they had to play essentially um, the best players from their youth teams so maybe you can't read too much into that but still managed to, to win that one, beat them at Hamden um, as well in the Europa uh, uh, Nations League Sorry, so I think you look at that one and you go if you just got off to a good start then England next, it's I suppose you could class it as almost like a a derby game, anything can happen, but I think everybody knows um, the quality that they've got, just ridiculously talented all over. And then, yeah, Croatia last back at home again, so that'll also be important. Um, I think there's a danger that some people here as well, maybe looking at Croatia and giving it the, 
yeah, they got to the World Cup final, but maybe not the team that they once were, which, no. I mean, I guess you can make the cake, but uh, still really dangerous. But, yeah, though, I think the, the main thing is just people are kind of also for, for a change because it's, it's been so long since Scotland have had um, a group that is this talented where people are looking at it now and saying that, well, yeah, Czech Republic have this guy, England have whoever, Croatia have whoever as well. But, you know, Scotland... Um, have some really, really good players playing at a high level all over the park. There's a few little weak spots in the team, but not a lot, like midfield, uh, a lot of quality there. Obviously, the, we've got as many left-backs as England have got right-backs that are quality. So, yeah, we've, we've. I think people are confident that we've also got some good players that can hurt these teams. And Yeah, the, I think a reasonable expectation that maybe a win and a draw perhaps, and you could kind of sneak into the, the equation where obviously there is a chance you could finish third and qualify, although there's also that very Scottish thing in the back of my mind going, it would be typical Scotland to to be one of the two third place teams who finishes third mm. and doesn't actually make it, so <laughs> yes, we'll see. I mean, just looking at the profile of the squad, and I, I think we'll, we'll get into the shape and, and the tactical setup shortly in in terms of how you've kind of accommodated um, Robertson and Tierney, but it, it is a nice looking squad. I mean, you have um, some strong midfield players, Premier League caliber players, and you know, like some McGinn and Fleck and McTominay, um, and that's kind of um, complemented then by a couple of young guys. Billy Gilmore obviously is probably the the headliner in terms of his age at 19 and, and, and some of uh, his appearances for Chelsea so far have really stood out and, and David Turnbull as well at, at Celtic. So it's a, it's a kind of a nice mix of, of, um, of guys who've been there in the Premier League and in the SPL over the past couple of years and um, a couple of young lads coming through have shown a, a lot of promise. Yeah, it's the, the squad that quite a lot of us have been talking about it, that if you are really, really pushing it to find maybe a weak link or someone who might not play you're probably looking at the third choice goalkeeper John McLaughlin who he's Rangers um, sub goalkeeper so he doesn't even play at club level and then maybe Greg Taylor the Celtic left back who I think he's only really there to as cover for Robertson because Tierney won't be acting as cover for left back obviously so you only kind of look at those two guys and you think, aside from those two, pretty much everybody else in that squad can probably come in at some point and play yeah. a part. I think the one you mentioned that it is the one that everybody's talking about now this week in the build-up to the game, um, Billy Gilmore, because he came on at half-time in the, the last friendly against Luxembourg and he only lasted half an hour and pretty much had to, to go off um, there was a concussion scare. He took a, a really, really bad uh, knock to the head. Thankfully, he wasn't concussed, but even though he was only on the park for half an hour, he, he just showed so much even during that time that there's kind of a real clamour growing now among people to, to see him replace Callum McGregor in the team uh, for the first game, which I would be quite surprised. I mean, he's only had two substitute caps uh, so far for Scotland, so I don't see Steve Clark throwing him in um, at the deep end in the first game but I think he'll definitely be one that's got a big part to play uh, yeah David Turnbull as well has come in and these are guys <coughs> who've 
<coughs> excuse me, who've only come in because uh, there's injuries elsewhere, like Ryan Jack um, at Rangers, and then Kenny McLean, who's scored the two penalties in the shootouts that, that won both of them uh, in the playoffs. Like Both those guys are injured and probably would have been in. So even these guys that I think Turnbull um, and Gilmore, don't think they would have went, to be honest, if Jack and McLean had been fit, but it just goes to show kind of the strength that's there, particularly in midfield, that, that these guys can go out. And to be honest, I think you could probably argue even already that uh, Gilmore and Turnbull are actually better players than, than the guys that they're replacing. And both of them only 19 and 21. I think Turnbull turns 22 later this summer. So, yeah, really exciting in, in that area. Podrick, in terms of the actual formation then itself, we saw against Serbia, for example, I suppose it's what you'd call a 3-5-2 with McTominay in, in, in the back three, which allowed you know Tierney on the left wing or, or Robertson switching with him. But it also allowed McGinn and McGregor to kind of switch that number 10 position. Even with Jack Indier, do, do you see that type of formation being what uh, Steve Clark will go for in the tournament? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, you're right. It was it was quite interesting, especially the the McGinn and McGregor one. Um, for a lot of that time, the the one uh, uncertainty I'm not really sure about is McTominay. It kind of looks like McTominay's not going to play. Obviously, like you mentioned he played that uh, right centre back role in Belgrade. He's he's played it quite a few times for Scotland, and I think he's actually a real asset to Scotland there. I think he. He kind of gives you more um, at the back than some of the players that you're kind of talking that you'd have to draft in a Jack Hendry or Grant Hanley, maybe even Liam Cooper at Leeds uh, to play if you're moving McTominay into midfield. But the last few games kind of seem to suggest that that's what he's going to do now. Uh, Without Ryan Jack, it looks like he's going to rely on McTominay to to move into the midfield. So that's quite interesting. I actually thought he would stick with McTominay at the back for the uh, for the tournament, but now it looks like it's probably going to be a McTominay-McGregor sitting and then McGinn just ahead of them. You're maybe looking at, I think Tierney is obviously definitely going to start in the back three. Um, Robertson on the left, probably Stephen O'Donnell on the right, and then the other two centre-back positions I think you could maybe argue here and there for, like, there's quite a few guys that probably be based on what he's done recently, Hanley and Jack Hendry. And then kind of leaves the only question mark whether he actually does go two up front with Lyndon Dykes and Shea Adams or if he's going to go rather than two strikers, if he uses a Ryan Christie or a Ryan Fraser maybe playing off uh, Lyndon Dykes. But I think Lyndon Dykes is definitely going to have to play just big and physical and kind of I mean he's obviously not the not the greatest finish in the world and he, he probably could have had a hat-trick in the, the Luxembourg game and missed quite a few chances should have had a hat-trick probably on another day but you know he's just so physical and he just makes an absolute nuisance of himself no matter who he's coming up against so I think he'll be a big threat but yeah kind of the the three five two. I think is definitely I don't it's just no way he's going to change from that now but whether he actually goes with two genuine strikers or goes with maybe a, a Christie or a Fraser, like I say, playing off and that's also another one to watch. Park, you mentioned there um, Linda Dykes probably going to be 
either one of two with, with Adams or, or up, up on his own. In terms of Adams, um, he's obviously a fairly recent convert to, to the Scottish cause, and he, he he turned down an approach in 2017 uh, to, to, to switch allegiances from England. Um, there was a little bit of pushback when he did move over earlier this year that he was kind of only doing it to, to chase a place at the Euros and all that. Um, has he been more accepted in in into the squad now by the wider public as, as the tournament approaches and as it looks like he's going to have at least a, a partially important role to play? Yeah, that's that's exactly what happens. And even I was one of them, to be honest, that was a bit uh, sceptical. Like it's pretty much it's only it was middle of March, I think, or early March when when it kind of came out of the blue that that Steve Clark had had approached them and was kind of chasing them up. Pretty much just with a view to the to the Euros, I think it and it did come out of nowhere. And but you know he kind of hit the ground running. He scored against the Faroes, uh, quite a good goal in the World Cup qualifying. Got the winner against Luxembourg the other day. So I think yeah, like the closer the tournament's got, he's been playing quite well whenever he's been uh, called upon, and people have you know moved that to the back of their mind. I did think. You know, maybe uh, Lee Griffiths or a, a striker like that will probably be sitting at home, kind of kicking themselves that they've allowed somebody to kind of sneak up on the outside and, and steal a place from them almost because, you know, if, if he'd maybe gotten his act together a little bit this season, he probably could and should be there. He's still one of Scotland's best finishers. But, yeah, I think now people pretty much are, are on board with uh, with Jay Adams and, and Dykes as well, obviously, was... was uh, less so, but kind of a similar situation. Um, Tilly's role, I think it will be, it will be quite interesting to see if he does actually start or not. I, I don't, I still don't think he's a certainty. Um, to be honest, he's he, obviously he's quite a, he's a lot better playing in a playing off like a Dykes or something like that. I don't see him being the one that ever gets the nod in the lone role, and it will be him relied upon with a. A Fraser or, or a Christie or an Armstrong or whoever it might be playing off him, but he's definitely going to be a, a a big player for Scotland. Like I said that at the start, I was I was a little dubious. I'd watched him with Southampton, and it it took him a long time to get going for them as well. And then you know eventually when he did, he seems more one of these guys that's kind of we score a, quite a few screamers, but not so much like a, a consistent goal scorer. But yeah, th- quite excited. Uh, to have from there now to be honest I think beggars can't be choosers for us as well at this but we're really going to have a lot we feel you there yeah yeah exactly um, you mentioned Lee Griffiths there and I was kind of just looking at him here I'm surprised to see he's he's only 22 caps for Scotland um, obviously he's had you know some some recent injuries and, and, and personal issues off the field but um Will he be disappointed not to not to get called up? You know, like you said, considering he is one of Scotland's better finishers and he has been such a such a fantastic player for Scotland yeah. over the years. Or for Celtic rather. Yeah, exactly. Like even he, even I'm one of the ones that kinda just so frustrated with him and like want to shake because obviously I'm a Celtic fan and watch him or supposed to watch him most weeks, but he's he's kinda been missing more often than than he's been there. Um recently and he's just it's so frustrating because you think I think he's 29 30 now like this really should have been his tournament to kind of grasp it and you kind of thought uh, you guys probably remember the the game uh the England one a few years ago when he got the, the two free kicks in the last minute we obviously still managed to throw it away 
after taking a lead in the 90th, 91st minute. But kind of thought that would be it. And then he followed it up where he got a really good goal out in Slovenia. And but never, never really kicked on after that. And then you've obviously mentioned he's he's had not just injury issues, but he's had other issues as well away from the pitch. But I think yeah, he'll be he'll be absolutely kicking himself because I think the fourth striker in the the Scotland squad is uh, it's Kevin Nisbet at Hibs, who's who's a really good little player. I'm really impressed him, and he's he's got a great story. He's kind of came like from quite low down in the in the pyramid and just worked his way up in Scotland and. I think only only Edward maybe scored more goals than him in, in the league last season. So it's quite good to see a guy like him who's you know put the work in and, and got there on merit. But I mean, if you look at uh, Scotland, I would still argue that even now he's probably Scotland's best out and out finisher uh, that they've got. But yeah, it's just just really frustrating. And it's it's tough for him because it should have been this really should have been his tournament perfect age coming into it but yeah we'll we'll have to have to make do without him like I said at the top um, you've two games in Hamden Park you've you've the Czechs and, and in Croatia um, and in between that day and you've the trip to Wembley so um, uh, must uh, you're heading along to the games what's the the crowd situation in, in, in terms of attendance because I imagine there's going to be a, a fair amount of uh, demand for, uh, for tickets to get in yeah, I think it's twelve thousand um, at Hamden for both those games, and then a little more uh, for for Wembley, obviously. But yeah, tickets are are pretty much uh, our gold dust. I was quite fortunate even to get them when they'd fallen that uh, on the kind of supporters club, the the loyalty points. So that even then, when when they had fallen, they weren't fallen all that far. So. It's yeah, it's the kind of hottest ticket in town almost, and it'll it'll be a kind of thing a really strange atmosphere. I think Hamden's quite a poor ground to be honest. Anyway, for atmosphere, it's really it's not not an enjoyable play. I mean, you guys probably remember that what one of the best like, atmospheres at Scotland game in recent years was like some of the one they played against Ireland at, at Celtic yeah. Park. They played a few games at Ibrox uh, in that run as well. But yeah, like. Proper stadiums with a bit of atmosphere. I really, yeah, it's. I don't. I don't know many Scotland fans to be honest that like it as a venue. But I think all that will maybe be pushed aside um, when it comes around uh, on on Monday and then the following week as well for the games. But there's also a few fan zones set up around the city. But they're mm. kind of talking about maybe that they won't go ahead after all because I think the numbers. Um, in Scotland and Glasgow as well in particular still aren't great in terms of COVID so maybe not so sure about that so yeah all of when you fa- factor all of that in this is the other uh, the other one you kind of have to laugh at where you've waited 23 years to get to a tournament <laughs> and then two of the games are in Glasgow one of the games is in London and you're talking really really restricted uh, restricted capacity as well but I mean I guess if that was the deal we had to make to get there, I guess we'll have to take it. Exactly, yeah. I suppose to finish off, I suppose if we were to speak to you in a couple of weeks, looking back, what what would be a, a successful tournament for Scotland? Are you, are you are you looking at knockout stage or a kind of a respectable showing in the in the group stage? What would you what would you like to see them get out of it? Yeah, I think I think a, a good showing would be getting out of the group. I think the, the team the team is good enough and. I've kind of talked about it before that 
you know that, that this is the time when if you can't be excited and you can't be optimistic, then then when can you? And I mean, Scotland have always just kind of had that mindset or mentality or whatever that you're always not you never want to uh, pull each other up or put yourself up too much. But you kind of look at this team and this squad and you think, and even which is quite surprising, even some of the the interviews and stuff from the camp before that are are quite interesting where players and the staff seem to be moving away from that as well and they're even kind of talking about well no you know what we're we know we're good we know we can play a bit um let, let's talk about it. let's let's enjoy it let's embrace the fact that we're we're not going there just to say oh we'll, we'll see what happens we kind of want to go want to give a good show and you know steve clark gave a good interview talking about that mctominay as well i get probably you know, I guess if you're coming through at Man United, you're you're going to kind of have that uh, mentality where he's he's not just going to be wanting to be there and going, oh, we'll see what happens along the way. So, I think, yeah, I think the, the team's good enough to get out of the group, whether it's the maybe second place, maybe a bit of a stretch, but you know, a, a good result in the first game that could set them well on the way nicely to to hopefully doing get picking up something here or there in the next two that follow and maybe squeezing through as, as one of those third place teams and I think we could look on that as a successful tournament. But if not, we could if we lose the, the two games in Glasgow but go down to London and, and hand England a, a defeat and still go out. You know, <laughs> I I think I'd take that as well to be honest. Great stuff. Uh, you can be sure that uh that we'll uh, be cheering you on in that in that game in Wembley uh um, but uh, best look for the tournament. I'm sure uh, uh, it'll be great experience, especially um, getting games on on home turf. Uh, Padraig, thanks for coming on this evening. Cheers, lads. Pleasure. I'm Henry Welgett. I can remember his name. Rob Little. He died. He ran away and left his wife for a young. I know myself. And depends on the quality of the eggs. In the supermarket you have eggs class 1, class 2, class 3. And some are more expensive than others and some give you better omelets. So when, when the class 1 eggs are in Waitrose and you cannot go there. Real Madrid is not Barcelona, it's office small team, have many problems. I want my players play with balls. We're joined by Welsh journalist James Burgoyne to take a quick look at Wales ahead of the tournament. Thanks for coming on, James. Hope you're well. Yeah, very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. So obviously Wales had that incredible run at Euro 2016, reaching the semi-finals and losing to eventual winners Portugal. Um, there's been a fair bit of change in that five-year gap, James, between um, managers and the playing personnel. What what are the nation's expectations going into this summer's tournament? I think it's definitely obviously going to be a hell of a lot more expectation than we had last time um, for loads of different reasons, I think, due to... I think generally our squad is a lot better than the one that we had going into 2016. I think um, certainly in terms of the the general squad, obviously we've still got kind of the still got the world class players in Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey, but um, we've got the youngsters coming through like 
uh, Nico Williams and Ethan Ampadu and slightly older ones and Harry Wilson and David Brooks and Dan James and yeah, it's definitely confident. I think the the thing with the this time in terms of our group is a lot harder, I think, than the, than the one we had in in twenty sixteen. Um, and obviously, the expectation is going to be had a lot higher considering we got to semi finals last time. But I think the one thing that I think is maybe luckier for this squad is the fact that we had we have had disappointment. Between that with the the 2018 kind of qualification campaign where it didn't kind of pan out the way that we wanted to, but we kind of, I think, tempered kind of Welsh our expectations quite a lot in, in maybe a good way. And the players learned, I think, a lot from that campaign and same with the, with the Nations League stuff as well. And yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an interesting summer, I think, for, for us. I think I'm really excited. Like you mentioned there, the the group is is pretty difficult. Um, I mean, Switzerland and Turkey are kind of being pegged as dark horses, um, and Italy, obviously, you know, seasoned uh, tournament side, um, and even the schedule for Wales uh, out to Baku for the first two games, and then back to to Rome to play to play Italy. Um, it, it is a fairly daunting task, but um, I imagine you know. To get Switzerland and Turkey out of the way first, that uh, that it could be, uh, uh, it could go well if, if 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 you get the right results in those first couple of games. Yeah, and I also think the kind of the back us uh, going out to back, I think is that might actually be a plus for us because uh, in 2016 we we stayed in Dinar and that's where our kind of our camp and it was quite small and um, it's. The players are gonna have a lot more kind of breathing room to just kind of relax. Because obviously, it's not, I mean, due to COVID anyway, it's not gonna be a hell of a lot of kind of Welsh fans out there, so they can just kind of concentrate on on the games and stuff. Yeah, which I think might help us long term before heading off to Rome for our final game against Italy, where we'll more than likely know where our fate is anyway. Um, that point, so yeah. Um, Obviously, the lads have been out there since Monday climatising, so it's, yeah, I think they're two very difficult games. Um, I mean, they're all very difficult games, but I think get having the Swiss first on 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 Saturday is going to probably be the easiest one of the three, I'd say, um, because probably they're two best players, really, when you're looking at it in terms of Shakiri and Xhaka haven't had particularly good seasons obviously got other players as well who are in good form with Remo Freuler at um, Atalanta and Briel below at, at Gladbach so they're a team that would be very tough to kind of to break down and got quite a good defensive I think over there as well and and the Turks have been they were fantastic in um, qualifying I think they're, they're another one of those kind of teams which are very well drilled and very hard to kind of defensively to break down and, and create chances which is and then obviously the Italians the Italians aren't they they've again they romp through uh, qualification and seem to be have done very well in, in their um, warm up games as well so I mean it's tor- in, tournament f- to- uh, in tournament football I think it's just good to get everyone going I think the fact that we have a harder group may give us kind of if we're able to somehow get through it or if we're able to get through it yeah. Gives a good springboard going into 
into the the knockout games. I think so. It's just is what it is, isn't it? Really, you have to play you up against, and we'll, we'll go from there. Um, we'll get on to the, I suppose, the, the overall profile of the squad um, shortly. But there is one name um, that you mentioned there, and that is Gareth Bale. Um, he's been such a talisman for, for Wales over the years. He's had a kind of a strange year or two um, in his club career. Um, things haven't really gone well at Real Madrid under Zidane, and he's kind of been, you know, in and out of the side, and there's been a kind of a question about his loyalty, you know, is, is he more interested in golf than, than playing for Real Madrid? And uh, obviously got that lower move to Spurs, which uh, I suppose he signed off pretty well. Um, and I think he had a, a decent season overall. But how much of Wales's hopes are kind of pinned on, on Bale having a good tournament? Yeah, it's very interesting. Obviously, Gareth Bale is, you know, our most high-profile high player, probably one of, if not the best, Welsh player ever and um, yeah I think he's always been one of those who's been in and out of Madrid for whatever reason certainly Zidane has not taken very well to him and but whenever he's kind of played for them I mean it was, even when he's they've the deaf fans haven't rated him he, he did great stuff in the Champions League and all that I think the the Spurs line was a was a really tough one for him because he, he's loved so much there for obvious reasons and he was going in there very very without match fitness and that expected him to be the Gareth Bale of you know 2011 when he was there absolutely running rings around the Premier League but obviously a kind of 31 year old player who hasn't played a hell of a lot in the last like two, two years and has had injuries as well um Took a while to get to match fitness. I think since that he's what he scored nine goals in the end, which is not again, it's it's not world class, but it's a very decent return after kind of coming in later and um I think I was listening to a podcast where former um two ex ex world players in Yuan Roberts and Danny Gabadon were saying about one of the main things about Gareth Bale was has been his pace, which obviously now he's he's had those kind of in, uh, those kind of hamstring injuries, and he's maybe lost that a little bit, and he he's had to kind of adapt his game. I think that's one thing he, he had to do at Spurs this year, and he obviously I think he ended very, very very well there. So I think we're very very much looking forward to see what he can do in the summer. And also he's he's Gapo. I don't think from a Welsh perspective there's ever been any kind of. Um, questions over his loyalty to, to his nation I think there's very, that very kind of well known um, yeah. phrase of Wales golf Madrid and <laughs> that kind of annoyed a lot of the uh, Madrilenos quite a lot from what I saw and I think it's it's he will give everything for the, for the, for the badger I think there's no doubts about that James the one thing about the squad I suppose when you look at it, maybe compared to the 2016 squad especially this season is the amount of minutes collectively they've had on the pitch. You know, you look at players like, obviously, Dan James, the three Spurs lads, Ramsey at Juventus, you know. Hennessy has just been released by Crystal Palace. Collectively, they don't have a lot of, too much form going into the the actual campaign compared to maybe 2016, when you, when you think back of the performances that Ashley Williams and Gareth Bale were producing at, at club level, for example, at that time. Would that concern you uh, as a Wales fan going into the tournament? 
I think definitely, yeah. But I think we've had those Nations League games between and where the lads haven't played a hell of a lot of games and we still managed to to play very well. Um, yeah, it's definitely frustrating. Certainly for lads like Dan James, who I think is had probably the curse of going to a big club too soon. Um, I think he's a fantastic player and has shown that on more than one occasion for despite what United fans will probably think for United and and for Wales. Um seems very similar to like the Wilfred Zaha situation when he went there from the championship and and didn't reach the the levels that they expected him to and then went back to Palace and has done very well there. Um Yeah, I mean it's frustrating. I mean it's very good that Ethan Ampadu managed to get some minutes at Sheffield United, but Again, they didn't have a fantastic season. Um, yeah, it's yeah, certainly with Ramsey at the Avengers, obviously his injuries and stuff. But I think the difference, I think, with with this certainly with twenty sixteen, is that the squad depth's a hell of a lot better. Um, whereas, like the players to come up are and who come in are a lot probably a lot better than what we had in terms of certainly when you look at. Look at the Portugal game, for instance, when we lost arguably two of our best players in that squad at that time in Ben Davis and Aaron Ramsey, um, due to obviously the yellow cards in the Belgium game. And we had a very, albeit a very good defender in his day, but an ageing James Collins who came in and did a decent job. And in the midfield, and, and Andy, albeit Andy King, who had just been a part of the Leicester Premier Premier league winning squad but I don't think you played a hell of a lot for them in that season but now you've got players like uh, certainly in terms of defence uh, James Lawrence has played quite well at St Pauli and defence obviously um, I think there's a lot more versatility in the squad as well and you've got Harry, Harry Wilson in that who can slot into that midfield and you've got Joe Morrell who's been doing really well at Luton so I I think overall the squad I agree with you in terms of the the minutes is a worry, um, but I think overall I think the squad is in a better, better definitely in a better place than we were say five years ago. I think another change from five years ago has been in the dugout. Um, Chris Coleman obviously led the led the line there um, last time out, and Ryan Giggs got the job, um, and obviously for various reasons he won't be. Um, in the dugout for the tournament and the job has been handed over to his assistant, Rob Page, who um, I don't have the, the full list of managers in front of me, but he, he is surely the, the most inexperienced um, manager in the tournament. Um, you know, a little bit of experience down the leagues in, 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 in the football league and, and with the Welsh under 21s. But uh, he's been thrust into this role. Um, is, is the pressure on or do you think, you know, maybe this is his chance to, uh, kind of you know ease expectations and and just kind of get the best out of this t- out of the team as as a caretaker manager with a with a, a fairly tempered expectations without without gigs uh, beside him. Yeah, it's a very very interesting one. Obviously, with the whole gig situation, kind of is a whole thing in itself. But I think Rob, Rob Page is the right man for the job because we have a lot of players that he would have. Who would have come through that under twenty one system with him, and and he was a part of the kind of he left the under twenty ones. I think about maybe six months before he he was offered the the caretaker role, and 
and Wales had had uh, have been on this kind of ever since he'd even prior to him actually being made caretaker. Wales have been on this uh, quite incredible home run of clean sheets and in the kind of competitor games and we look a very solid with 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 him at the helm and I think it's the pressure's definitely off. I think with him being caretaker, uh, definitely. But he, I mean, he'll he'll be, he'll be ambitious. I think he'll it's him putting himself in the shop window as well because I think when he was at Northampton and Port Valley, he. I mean, he, he. I think he did quite well at both of those jobs, but didn't maybe reach expectations. But then went back to under Wales and twenty one. So he's, yeah. I think he's the right man for the job at the moment. I think, yeah, you got to say your expectations are off, but I think in terms of international management, it's a very difficult job. And I, I think as a coach, I don't think we could have had anyone better. I think he's been a very calming influence, and he's shown in. Because he he ran those kind of nation league games and he's kind of he's put he's definitely made himself worthy of the job and I think yeah whatever happens I think he'll he'll still be fondly thought of by the by the Welsh faithful I think James if we're speaking to you in a couple of weeks time um, and obviously like we said it's it's a pretty tough group um, with Switzerland Turkey and Italy but if we're if we're speaking to you in a couple of weeks time looking back on uh, how Wales have gone what would what would your what would you be happy with? Are you, are you thinking knockout stage or maybe a good showing in, in the group? What would you be happy with as a as a Wales fan to, to, to go through the tournament? Oh, it's a really difficult one. Um I as much as a tough group, I think I think we do definitely we sh- should get through. I think if if it all kind of goes well, I think I think around the sixty, I think I'd be happy if we get through the group. I think beyond that, it's it's hard. I, if we feel it feels. I think about this earlier. It feels very like Iceland when they got sat kind of to the set to the second tournament to got sat World Cup and there was almost nothing, no expectation. But there also has to be expectation because of how they performed in the in the in those Euros. It feels very much like that where yeah. we can't be the kind of little, little nation now of like oh just, you know we have to have some expectation. We have to want to get through the group, but I don't think we're arrogant enough to think that it's going to be easy and it's, I, yeah, I think getting through the group, I think I'd be, I'd be very happy with that, but it's to kind of our expectations are all, all based around really what happens on, on Saturday, really. Um, after those 90 minutes, I think then we'll know, have a better grasp on, on how the players are kind of acclimatised to tournament football and where we'll go from there, I think, but, yeah, I'd say group stage and getting, getting out, I think we'd be happy with that. I think beyond that, I think it would be a bonus. Good stuff. Um, I think we'll definitely be cheering Wales on um, and living vicariously through uh, through Scotland and Wales since uh, since we're not there this year. James, thanks for coming on this evening. That's all right. Thank you for having me. Respect. Respect, man. Respect. 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 So we leave it there, so. Okie doke. Good night and God bless. <laughs>